This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you are based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? 12 already at the end of August, and of course, um, that means that uh, today is the day that I am least jealous of Israeli school teachers because, of course, tomorrow begins ah. the new academic year, millions of Israeli children, or at least hundreds of thousands of them, will return to school tomorrow for the new year. The summer holiday is officially over. Um, And, of course, there is that long stretch of two weeks of school until we get to Rosh Hashanah. It's always strange to me that that they start now, even even though they stop again for the Chagim. Well, the problem is that, as you know, um, the Chagim are either too early mm. or too late. Exactly. Um, and it's very, very difficult to delay the school year until after the Chagim because they come at different times every single year. Um, and but this year it's relatively early, a couple of weeks after the start of the school year. Um, and this year um, also a lot of the Chagim fall over the weekends. But when Sukkot comes around, the schools will actually close down completely um, until after Sukkot. Mm. So um, it is a very disrupted start um, to the school year, which is always a disrupted start. Unfortunately, that is just the nature of the beast. Um, but anyway, good luck to all those Israeli school children who will return to school tomorrow. Just a great little video that I saw this morning from Montreal, where Israeli singer Omer Adam, of course, you hear his music from time to time. He is in Montreal um, and he had a concert yesterday, and there was a little video clip of the backstage moments before he went on stage. And um, with him in his uh, backstage room was Rabbi Getsi Markovitz, who is a Chabad emissary in Montreal, and he was blowing the shofar for Omer Adam just before he went on stage. So a great little private Amazing. moment with that. the rabbi and uh, mm. Omer and uh, the chauffeur being blown just before we went on stage. It is that time of year. It is indeed. Uh, we sound the shofar every morning after the West Park report, and that's around about 6.31 during the month of uh, Elul. A man was injured in a terror attack in Jerusalem last night. So what were the details of this attack? I know that it was near the Old City because my daughter's there for a gap year. We got a message from her to say there was an attack, everybody's fine, but, uh, well, clearly not everybody, uh, but uh, what is the story? So the story was that this actually took place at uh, one of the Jerusalem light rail stations in, in, uh, in just near to the old city, as you rightly pointed out. A man apparently approached the light rail station with a knife and began attacking people. There was um, a man who is, I think, in his early 20s, who seems to have been injured in the attack. Um, and um, a, a border police soldier um, happened to get off one of the light rail trains around that time and saw civilians who were trying to control 
this person who had a knife and had been stabbing people, and the border police soldier drew his weapon and shot the terrorist dead. But the, the, the sad part of the story is that the terrorist has been identified as a 14-year-old child oh. who lives in the area of Jerusalem. And <clears throat> once again, you know, I said this so many times, and I have to just say it again, it's just horrible for me to have to talk about the fact that teenagers are the ones who are being martyred in inverted commas, and I use that word somewhat facetiously, um, are being martyred um, by carrying out these terror attacks, putting everybody in danger, losing their lives in the process, or at least ruining their lives in the process, even, they, even, the, even if they happen to survive the incident. And I just don't understand how a society can support this kind of behavior, and yet when it happens, sweets are being handed out and everybody is, is um, very delighted and, and, and very showing great respect to this individual, a teenager who carries out a terror attack. So that's a very, very sad story. And, you know, I'm sure that the listeners will have um, a lot to say and to think about that. Also, just another event that took place during the course of the night was the fact that um, a large explosive device was detonated near to IDF soldiers, near to Nablus, when they were guarding people who had gone along to Joseph's tomb. Uh, to worship. Now, there is this um, regular event where people go to Joseph's tomb, which is near to Nablus um, within the Palestinian Authority area, to worship. And that is a, an arrangement that has been reached with the Palestinian Authority. It's something which is regularly done. It's always done in the middle of the night. People um, are organized in a group. They are guarded by IDF soldiers. They go along to Joseph's tomb. And we have seen more than one or two attacks being carried out during the course of these visits. Last night was no exception. This large explosive device was detonated by people who were obviously expecting the group to visit. Um, there were four IDF soldiers, an officer and three soldiers who were injured in the process. They were all taken to hospital. Two of them um, were treated immediately and discharged from the hospital. Two others were admitted and kept overnight, one of whom is considered to have been moderately injured, the other quite lightly injured, but nevertheless um, stayed in hospital overnight. Mm -hmm. And so, again, you know, we, we ask questions about um, the logic of these visits and these events. And there are, of course, two schools of thought. School of thought number one says, why would you bother to go there when you know that people are lying in wait on a regular basis. This is not just the first time this has happened. This is a regular event where people go to Joseph's tomb, they come highly guarded, and yet somehow attacks are carried out um, relatively regularly on, on this group who goes to Joseph's tomb. So the question is, why would you do that when you know that this is what's been happening over and over again? On the other hand, the second school of thought says, we will not give up our right to go along and worship at Joseph's tomb. Why should we be intimidated to be afraid to go there when we are not doing anything wrong? There's no attack that's being carried out. There are no threats that are being issued. People are just simply going along there to pray and to go home afterwards. Uh, and it's interesting that uh, the Islamic Jihad has claimed responsibility for this attack at Joseph's tomb last night. And it says that 
that we will carry out attacks against the Zionist occupation against our people and then acknowledge the fact that Joseph II is our place of worship. In other words, they're not laying claim to that area. They are just using the opportunity to attack us, mm. knowing full well that we come along there on a regular basis. So, again, you know, I'm, I'm opening it up to listeners um, because I'm sure that there will be um, people who support this school of thought or that. Um, but it is definitely a dilemma uh, for us to decide what is the most appropriate course of action. Do we give up on it in the interest mm. of making mm. sure that our IDF soldiers do not get injured, as is, was the case last night? Or do we insist upon doing it because by giving up, we're showing that intimidation works and that we're afraid and that we are um, frightened or because of um, the threats and the intimidation that are directed against us. It's absolutely fascinating. I, it would also be interesting to ask the, the IDF soldiers what they thought. Uh, because they know full well that they're in danger when they're in a situation like that. Would they give it up, or do they feel strongly that this is something that uh, that they need to do to defend these uh, the, these these sites as well? Why should Jews be be the only people not to defend their holy sites? And this is undisputedly one of them. Um, I think you might be um, surprised to hear that even amongst the idea of soldiers, there'll be the two schools. Yeah, I would imagine. I, I'm sure that is the case. Defence Minister Yoav Gallant is reported to have met with U.S. officials in spite of the ban on meeting with U.S. officials imposed by the Prime Minister. <gasps> ay, 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 uh, the gift that keeps on giving. What is going on? Uh, so why is Gallant ignoring this ban? Well... We know that the Prime Minister has decided to issue this ban because he's still feeling somewhat snubbed by the U.S. administration, by the fact that he hasn't been invited to a meeting with the president uh, and hasn't been invited to the White House, even though there have been reports that he is due to meet with President Joe Biden um, around the edges of the upcoming um, United Nations uh, General Assembly meeting, which is due to take place uh, during the month of September. But in the absence of uh, that meeting having taken place, the official band, band that the Prime Minister has issued on high-level meetings with U.S. administration still remains in place. Uh, and even though that ban has been in place already for some time, um, the Defence Minister decided that it would be appropriate to meet with U.S. officials. Uh, in particular, he met with the State Department's uh, Barbara Leaf. She is um, uh, a Middle East um, uh, National Security Council Middle East coordinator, um, and uh, she, uh, sorry, she's the U.S. Assistant Secretary for Near Eastern Affairs, Barbara Leaf, and he was also scheduled to meet with the National Security Council Middle East coordinator, Brett McGurk. Um, and these meetings are actually quite important because um, there is still ongoing cooperation at a military level and of course in a in a diplomatic on a diplomatic level between the US administration and the Israeli government in fact quite recently uh, we enjoyed the visit of um, the uh, the uh, US uh, a general who is the chairman of the joint chiefs of staff he is effectively the head of the US military and he was recently in Israel he's due to retire recently but he had a visit to Israel and was a very successful visit. He's very, very fond of his visits to Israel. And so it shows that there is ongoing cooperation 
both at a military level and at a diplomatic level, um, in spite of the Prime Minister having issued this ban. And to be fair, I think that those ongoing meetings and cooperation are really important, even though the Prime Minister might see, might see things in a slightly different way. So, Gallant's office was attempting to try and play down these meetings, even though he did go ahead and he effectively overstepped the ban that the Prime Minister has put in place. Um, they did, he didn't want to make a big deal out of it. He didn't want to issue any official statements. He didn't want to, he didn't want to publicize the meetings in any way. Um, but it's clear that there are ongoing meetings and some of them don't even take place in the United States in order to try somehow to even play it down further. Mm-hmm. They take place when U.S. officials travel to Europe and things like that uh, and they use the opportunity to get together. But um, we do know, for example, that Benny Gantz, when he was serving as, as, as defense minister, met um, people on trips to Washington. He met with Antony Blinken, the, 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 national, the, the secretary of state, as well as Jake Sullivan, who's the national security advisor, and, of course, the defense secretary, Lloyd Austin. So these are people who are all very, very important to Israel. And even though the ties, the relations between the U.S. administration and the Israeli government are a little strained under the current uh, prime ministerial regime, um, the reality is that we can't afford to neglect our relations with the United States. Indeed, we can't. An Iranian weightlifter has been banned for life for shaking hands with an Israeli competitor. This this story just makes me sick. Um, It's just madness. Um, This is a story about Mustafa Raja, who was was participating um, in an event in Poland over the weekend. This is actually a master's event. So these are people who are of a certain age, um, and um, he was standing on the podium with Israeli weightlifter Maxim Svirsky. They both um, were um, on the podium uh, receiving medals uh, for their participation in this weightlifting competition, and there was a video and a photograph showing the two of them shaking hands. Well, it didn't take very long for the Iranian uh, government to come down banning uh, Rakhai from any participation, banning him for life from any participation on behalf of the uh, Iranian uh, of the Iranian Islamic Republic, and also has banned him from entering any sports facility in Iran. Not only that, but the head of the delegation for this competition was also dismissed uh, from his position, and this is just on and on and on the way that the Iranians behave um, towards their own people when they are um, bringing some sort of um, honor to Iran, participating in a competition, winning a medal, standing on the podium, Iranian flag. But the moment he shakes his hand with an Israeli competitor, then he is kind of deleted. He is banned for life. He is banned from entering sports facilities He becomes an absolute nobody because of the fact that he just showed a little bit of respect towards a fellow competitor in the competition and shook his hand. And, of course, we know that this is not the first event uh, of this type. Uh, It's just an ongoing story, but just never ends. It just really never ends. And, in fact, Iran did receive a four-year ban from the international judo, uh, from international judo competitions over this policy that they follow of not being willing to fight or compete against Israeli competitors not being willing to to show sportsmanship towards Israeli competitors. That June, that ban is expected to expire actually um, in another few weeks' time, having already been in place for four years. Um, But I can 
see the Iranian um, Federation of Sports being banned again um, for such behavior. This is really just crazy, mm-hmm. crazy, crazy. Anthony Reich, thank you as always. That is where we leave it. It's about to go, 8 o'clock. Wishing you a fantastic weekend. Shabbat Shalom, and we'll catch you next week. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com. Редактор субтитров А.Семкин Корректор А.Егорова